Well, today we continue our script series, and the hope during this series is to expose you to a lot of different voices. So I'm excited today uh, because it's not just me speaking, it's also Nina, my wife. We're going to tag team this thing. I'm going to kick us off, and then she's actually going to take us home. So this is going to be good. This is going to be fun. Well, we have very different stories, yet they are the same. And both of us uh, have this uh, have this thread, this commonality in a sense. Each of us have been held captive, one by fear and one by self-doubt. But we have a similar place in our story because we both can attest to this, that God is overcoming our weakness. And so today I want to take you in a little bit of a history lane of my life, okay? So when I was a little guy, a little tyke, I was out wrestling with my buddies after school. And uh, that picture is just to get you on my side, just to show you some cuteness. I was good looking at one point in my life. It all went downhill after third grade. And uh, I'm out wrestling with my buddies, and one of my buddies gets hurt, and he starts crying, and he runs off. And out of nowhere, this teacher comes and grabs me and begins to rip into me and lays into me like I'm a Flyers fan at a, at a Washington Capitals playoff game. I mean, like verbal lashing out at me. And it was at a time as a kid in my life where every word soaked into me. You know what I'm talking about? And I received every word, and it was a point where a little bit of fear of authority or fear of making a mistake began to grip me in my little third grade mind. Fast forward to junior high. And I had an incredible experience with God at a youth retreat, and we came back, and the youth pastor invited uh, some up to give testimony to what God had. So I found myself jumping up, and I was up there before I could even think. And he gave me the mic, and I went to talk, and I choked. Like, I choked up, literally, and I started tearing up, and I couldn't get more than five words out. And I just stood there. In silence, in front of hundreds of kids, right? And then I did something that, that helped. I just went and sat down and said nothing. <laughs> All right, that's who you're listening to today. And, and, it, and something happened. A little bit more fear began to grip me, right? A fear, a social anxiety, a fear of public speaking. Fast forward into high school. And I went into this, I got into a relationship of, of what turned into a four-year relationship that I thought would never end. And uh, in a good way, I thought it was, it was a great relationship that did end. <laughs> it didn't come out the right way. <laughs> You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. I, I, I thought it was headed towards a great place, but it ended after four years in deceit. And I got into a relationship with my future wife, and I found myself caged in from skepticism and inability to trust. And it was this fear of brokenness in relationship, this fear of hurt that gripped me. And all of these experiences are small, yet not insignificant in a moldable young mind that I found captured by fear in my youth. So I found myself in this fear paradigm growing up, 
that every part of me and everything and every decision and every opportunity that I have, I found myself trying to step back or blend in or just mute myself or just, I just didn't want to make mistakes. I wanted to go unseen and so it affected my my life in athletics and my social life and my church life and it affected my family life and my relationship with God. It affected every part of me because everything was measured through the lens of potential embarrassment or fear. And so this fear grips me and, and I don't think I've ever talked about my personal fears before publicly because it's kind of embarrassing, right? It's kind of it's insecurity when you throw those things out there and because you want to be seen as a courageous person and, and a fearless person. But I wonder if there are some people here today that you would say, you know what? Fear is holding me back from becoming who God desires me to be. And maybe it's a fear of failure or maybe it's a fear of somebody else's opinion. Or maybe it's a fear of your own opinion that it's actually true. Or maybe it's a fear of being exposed to who you really are. But the enemy whispers into our soul. He whispers these little things. And today I want to talk about a scripture that, that I've recited, that I have confessed more than any other scripture in, in the Bible. And it's a scripture that doesn't define me, but it's a scripture that fuels me. And it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, and the scripture says this, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of sound mind. And so here's the apostle Paul speaking into a young man, Timothy, and he speaks as a mentor, as a coach, as a pastor, as a spiritual father over this young man. And so he speaks into him, not out of spiritual platitudes, but out of core truth that he wants this son to know. And he knows that fear and failure always go hand in hand, that they are dance partners, that they always go together. But he also knows this, that faith always overcomes fear. And he speaks into Timothy, and he speaks into Joel Schmidgall, and he speaks into somebody who maybe is here today, that if it is not a fear of God, it is not a fear from God. More than anything else in the scriptures, more than any other command, this command, fear not, is given. If Lloyd Ogilvie were here, the former chaplain of the Senate, he would say this, fear, fear not is commanded in the scripture 366 times. That's one for every day of the year, including leap year. We are called to fear not faith over fear. So we read this scripture and we see that, that when fear is pulled away in Christ, three things are given to us. I'm going to briefly hit on each one of these. First, we're given power. We're given power. I was amazed at the power of God that entered into my life when I stepped out of, when I abandoned fear. Fear of looking ridiculous, fear of hurt, people, uh, fear of other people's thoughts when I stepped away. And I stepped into this power of God, power to forgive, power to be forgiven, power to speak in somebody else's life. When you choose faith over fear, you choose God's power over your ability. In uh, 
college, I took a semester off my sophomore year from Bible college, and I went to a local junior college and, uh, to save some money. And I went there, and it was, it was right after I was stepping out of this fear paradigm in life. And I was following Christ on a daily basis, active in Him. And so I decided to get bold in one of my classes. And uh, we had been given this assignment that uh, we were to give a presentation on a significant historical figure in U.S. history. And so I chose this guy, Fred, Frederick Douglass. And uh, he was a man who overcame incredible injustice and prejudice, but he was also a man who advanced the kingdom of God greatly throughout his lifetime. And so I decided I'm going to take 50 people in this classroom into one of these spiritual experiences. And so my presentation, I got up and I gave a sermon. And then we sang a spiritual. And then I called people to salvation. And then I called people to prayer. And we did, in the middle of this public school, in the middle of a classroom, I'm calling out the gospel in this, and people are raising their hands for prayer in this classroom, right in the middle of the class. And we're having some church in the house that day, and I'm feeling good. And, and so we get to the end of class, and, and my teacher calls me over, and she calls me out into the hallway. And in my inside, I'm like, oh my God, I knew this was coming. What did I do? And I'm transported back to when I was a little third grader and a teacher showed up. And inside, you know, it's irrational, right? But inside, I felt all of a sudden paralyzed by this fear of making a mistake, of blowing of authority. And I'm transported there all of a sudden, and I walk out, and I'm just literally paralyzed for some reason. And she says, she says, I've never experienced anything like that. And she says this, that was powerful. All right. I got a little pep in my step. And I was feeling good. And here's what happens when you step on top of fear with your faith. The power of God shows up in your life. For God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And number two, a spirit of love. What came into me when I started following Christ with abandon, with everything? I'm not talking about he's off in the distance. I'm talking about going after God with everything I got. What happened is, one, I, came, I became bold, and two, he put a love in my heart that was rooted in him. A love for my friends that I did not have. So I, I wrote down the name of my friends in my prayer journal and I began to intercede on their behalf. I began to pray over them and seek God on their behalf and go after the Lord for my friends. And then I would talk with them and I would sit down with them and I would speak the grace and the love of God into them. And something started to happen in those relationships. Those relationships started to change. And the Lord gave me influence in their life that they did not have from other arenas. You show me who's in your prayer journal, and I'll show you who you have influence on. Love conquers all fears. 
And these friendships and these friends begin to wrestle with faith. And they begin to, to forgive. And they begin to take a step in faith towards God. And the Lord raised these relationships up. And all of a sudden, they went to a deep level that I had, had not had before. Why? Because, because fear was replaced with the love of God. We do not have a spirit of fear in God. We have a spirit of power, of love, and number three, of sound mind. The mind is the battlefield of faith and of fear. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter four. And he says this, you will get the peace of God which transcends all understanding and it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. He says, think about such things. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you win the battlefield in your mind, it overturns the battle in your heart. Our mind and emotions, they battle, don't they? But when we give our minds to him, the mind, when think about such things, they overtake your mind and they overtake your heart. Fear can disguise itself as rational, when in reality it is not. Fear is like a con artist. It comes across and portrays itself as real, but the only reality is only coming through the power that you give it. Don't give it any power. When I, when I prayed for, when I sat down, when I shared with, when I proclaimed the love of God into friendships, every time I was stepping on top of fear with faith to stand out, and I learned something, that the natural fear in my heart was only fuel for a spiritual instinct called faith. So when I smell fear now, the instinct kicks in that I've got to attack that fear with faith and I've got to go after it. And so when I'm out on the ball court and there's an intimidating player on the other team, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? I got that guy. I'm always the first one to say, I got him. No, I can, you're good. I got that guy. When there's a project that seems over my head, I want to, I want to go get that project. When there's somebody that everybody has given up on, I don't want to give up on that person because I know this. That fear, that faith over fear is not a singular battle, but it's an exercise, it's a, it's a spiritual muscle that has to be exercised consistently, and unless I fight back fear, then fear will fight back in my soul. I've got to attack it, right? We were in, uh, Nina and I were in Greece uh, a week and a half ago, and we were there with 12,000 refugees at a camp right on the border between Greece and Macedonia. 12,000 people without a home in a desperate situation, living in tents and nothing to their names. And we walked into that camp and we were there with, uh, with 10 other NCCers there just to minister for a week. And there was this opportunity to, to uh, stay overnight in the camp. And so inside, when the, when the opportunity presented itself, inside I'm thinking, okay, 12,000 people kind of amped up a little bit and they got nothing and they're desperate, and emotions are high, and there's no police presence at night, and two Americans are going to come in with thousands of dollars of equipment. Is this a good idea? <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking internally, but you know what? Fear runs away from, and faith runs toward. It was that natural 
fear inside. And I said, oh, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. And so we go, and we spend them, and everything that I thought would happen happened that night. And so we, and this family takes us in. They pull us in. We ended up sleeping in their tents with them. And, they pull, and we sit around the campfire drinking coffee with floaties that I was sure was going to give me some sort of disease. But we drink this coffee with them around the campfire, and we're hearing their stories, and we're stepping into their suffering, and we're experiencing and listening and soaking in the pain of what they are living, and they're sharing what's going on, and, and emotions run high, and 3 a.m. comes around, and there's a, a scrum a 50 or 60 man scrum and a fight breaks out. I mean, it, like it got crazy that night and everything I thought would happen might happen did happen that night and came about and it was the exact kind of situation that I feared and it was the exact kind of situation that stepping into faith allowed God to move in a unique way. And so the next morning, Nina shows up and she comes in and she sits and drinks some floaty coffee with us and hears stories around the campfire. And as she does, tears begin to run down her cheeks. And as she starts to cry, three girls and their old mama begin to cry and tears start running down their cheeks and they have a tearful embrace around this campfire and something is happening right there and then the old mama says this she says millions of people hate us nobody wants us nobody will take us in but you come here and you cry with us and it was this moment i said nina you have the ministry of emotion I was here the entire stinking night, and you show up for 10 minutes, and you got them crying. And I say it with a smile, but it's a beautiful thing because there's a little bit of insecurity there for her and her emotions, but that was the exact thing that God used, wasn't it? God used both of us, and for both of us, he used us in our insufficiencies, and I'm here to tell you today, don't you dare leave this place thinking that God cannot use you, thinking that God does not have a plan over your life because you are weak, because you have fear, because you are insufficient in some place in your life, because he still has a plan for you. The very thing that held us captive has become the reminder for us to go after God. The ministry of emotion. <laughs> and I'm supposed to follow that, yeah. So Joel mentioned that we just returned recently from Greece, and so I come to you a little bit raw, a little bit heartbroken from the stories that we shared. But there's nothing like being with people in their most vulnerable hour to bring things into priorities, into laser-sharp focus, right? So probably even some of my life script has been written, rewritten over the last couple of weeks. So Joel mentioned our time at the border, um, but we also spent some time working at a refugee camp that was run by the military. One of our first nights we were there, um, we had gone to the camp to help with the movie night. The military camp is a little bit, um, it's a little bit more organized. The tents are handed out by the government or by NGOs, and so it's a little bit less like camping and a little bit more like living. 
but people are still in a very vulnerable place. And um, we had gone to do this movie night to bring a little bit of joy to them. And I stood, um, I'm, I'm sorry, it was actually, um, as we were standing by the edges, there was this mother there, and she was kind of watching over her children. And I got talking with her. And um, she began to share. We had a very difficult time with the language. But she shared she had been a teacher, so she was committed to making a connection in English. And she told me about her home in Syria that she had left, and it had, her city had been bombed, and her home had been bombed, and so they were here. And um, our connection was sealed when we realized that we had both been married for 11 years, and we actually had gotten married just a couple of months apart from each other. And um, we both had three children. They were pretty similar in age. So we are instant friends. And she introduces me to her husband, and I introduce her to mine. And a little while later, her boys, um, her three boys, drag Joel off to play a game of basketball. And we're standing at the edges, and we're kind of watching. And I'm standing with Dua. Her name was Dua. And her husband, Mohammed. And we're watching Joel interact with the boys. And her husband, who you can tell is carrying all these emotions, turns to me and says, he's a good man, a good father. And I just overcome with wanting to speak life into him, turn back and say, you are also a good man, a good father, and you have been very brave. And he began to cry. Many of the refugees shared that fear, that worry. Why did I leave? What position have I put my family in? And I began to kind of meditate and take in, wow, how many of us ask those same questions, wrestle with those same thoughts? Have I made the right decisions? Am I enough? Are the contributions that I'm making enough? Do I have what it takes? Does my life have value? We feel it in our jobs. We feel it in our relationships. When we become parents, we feel it exponentially because the stakes are so high, right? Our mistakes, our character flaws, they have a direct impact on these young people, on these people we're developing. Are we compromising their safety or their well-being? And when I examine the script of my life, I look back, I realize, and I realized there in that moment that I see a theme of questioning. Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Why am I here? It's not a sad story. I actually, I came from a... Um, wonderful upbringing, and perhaps it's because for my whole life that I've been blessed by wonderful people telling me uh, that I will achieve and that I have something to contribute. I was born to young parents who have told me that they basically got married because they wanted to have a baby. So I always felt wanted. And from a young time, I, they told me I was gifted and that I was capable. And when I was introduced to Jesus by friends as a young teenager, I felt confirmed and convicted that this Jesus was going to be able to refine in me, right? He was, I was assured that he would use me. And I had a youth leader um, through my high school years, and I realize now she might have been saying this to the other students, but told me that I was unique and that I was capable and that I was special. So the expectations were really mounting, right? I was from a broken home, and so I had some hang-ups there that I really wanted to overcome. And I was convinced as I grew as a young believer that as I grew in his word, that those would be refined, those edges would be softened. And I had confidence that this Jesus that I decided to follow would work out those weaknesses in me. 
But as years passed, I began to see that some things that I had worked and worked to overcome still had root in my life. And as different seasons would pass, I would see the frustration building. Perhaps you share some of those same feelings. Why am I not overcoming, Lord? I can't seem to get control over my emotional response to things. Or my tongue is just as sharp as ever. Or why can't I lay down my need to be acknowledged for my accomplishments? And as time and seasons went on, some roots began to take, and there's nothing like entering into marriage to face the reality of your deficiencies. And there is nothing like becoming a mom to not have to struggle with some of those weaknesses and character flaws as you see them played out in the lives of your children. Self-doubt had really taken hold. A few years ago, we had an um, NCC uh, coffee, a mom's chat, where a gathering of NCC moms, and we had invited Pastor Donna Pisani, who has been such a good friend to this church, and um, to a room full of us, she shared that so many of us, especially women, really wrestle with um, feeling confident about our areas of strength. And she told us we were going to do an exercise right then and there, and everyone, we're going to go around the room, and we were going to just share with the room an area of strength. And I froze. I remember, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I consider myself a fairly confident person, and I could think of some things that I was pretty good at, but something that I felt confident enough to declare to the whole room? I honestly, I don't even remember what I said that day. And the funny thing is, is that I can actually remember what many of my friends said. But I do remember that I left that room, and I was determined that I would... Um, I would be more intentional to feel confidence and to... to understand the areas of strength that the Lord had built in me. And hence, this brings us to my life script today. And I'll be honest that I have wrestled with the Lord, and I was really hesitant to share from a place of weakness. I wanted to share from a place of confidence and of victory, right? I wanted you to know um, those sides. But I need you to know that I've heard the Lord's sweet prompt all week long, his whisper in my ear saying to be me. And I want to say that to you, to accept that vulnerability. And for that reason, I want to share with you one of my life verses, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Another translation reads it this way, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness here is translated infirmaries, burden, sickness. So what's the burden that you carry today? In this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is writing about a thorn in his, fresh, in his flesh. And the verses right before say, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. We don't know whether that thorn was some great trouble or some believe it was a, a sickness or a bodily pain. Others believe it was opposition. But the thorn was discouraging him. It was hindering him in his work. And we know that he prayed and that God did not remove it. And that is our victory script then, right? No matter the calamity or the weakness or the thorn that we feel like we can't overcome, we are strong in him. His grace is enough. 
So for me, that verse in 2 Corinthians is paired with another, one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1.6, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion. So this message, my script of overcoming, is a mantra that I repeat to myself, in him, I am enough. In him, I am enough. And as my husband sits here and delivers this incredible word, I sit there and say, in him, I am enough, right? Um, it really is a paradox, paradox of life in Jesus that when we're weak in ourselves, we are strong in the grace of the Lord. We see ourselves weak or lacking, then we go out of ourselves to Christ and we're qualified to receive strength from him. So my son, Zeke, he works really hard to meet expectations in school. Um, our education system is really not built for little boys, and he has a number of things kind of working against him, making a focus really difficult in school. And last year, his school had a system for um, keeping track of, you know, or helping communicate with the parents. And so the kids were given a sheet with the number one to five on it. And each day, the number of times you had to maybe be corrected or put back on task, you would kind of mark the number down and you would bring the sheet home. And I could tell, I could start to really sense as he would bring me a sheet with a low number on it that it was starting to really wreak havoc on his confidence. So one day when he handed me a sheet or maybe I pulled it out of his folder on a whim, I just felt from the Lord, I, I said, Zeke, mom wants to ask you, um, do I love you more when you bring home a sheet with a one on it or a, or a five on it? And he was quick and sure with his answer. He said, a five, mommy, a five. And I paused. I was so delighted to be able to share this truth. So I lowered my voice, and I looked into his little freckled face, and I said, no, Zeke, that's not correct. I love you the same. I love you the same. If you bring home a sheet with a one or a five, I love you the same more than you can possibly imagine. I love you, no matter the number on your sheet. And I'm just, I'm curious, what is it in us that makes us think that we have to prove our worth? I mean, it sounds like a little boyhood story, but even in this room, some of us are worried about what a boss or a family member thinks, right? Maybe some of you think, I'm not married, I'm from a broken home, and I don't know if I have what it takes to be successful in marriage. Or maybe some of you think, I feel like I have gifts. I have gifts to use in my profession, and yet um, I, know, I feel like the Lord wants to use them but the opportunities that I'm seeking in my job just aren't coming. Or maybe some of you think, man, I'm really from an unhealthy um, upbringing. I don't know if it, I have what it takes to raise thriving children. Do I have what it takes, Lord? Maybe you're crying out like I do. Do I have what it takes? And the truth is that becomes the script of our life, but really the script of our minds, of our hearts, the monologue that we tell ourselves it really only can be changed when we accept that, no, we are not enough and we do not have what it takes and that there is really nothing that we accomplish here on this earth that matters if it is not from him and for his glory, right? Um, before we went to Greece, Joel and I had the opportunity to um, go to Germany for a day or two. We wanted to see the NCC Cafe Prachtwerk in Germany, um, which is incredible. And we had a day to travel right outside the city to Wittenberg, Wittenberg's a sleepy little town outside of Berlin um, where Martin Luther lived, and he studied, and he preached. And in 1517, he published his 95 Theses, thus beginning the Protestant Reformation. And Joel and I walked through the museum there, and we read every word and kind of soaked in our Christian heritage. And 
it was impossible to not feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the boldness that Luther had expressed to make the gospel free to us again. And as we walked through the museum, um, we, I was really struck by just as Luther had kind of felt more and more doubts about um, the daily practices of the Catholic Church, one of his, the genesis really of his concern was over the practice of indulgences. And an indulgence was a payment to the church that purchased a penance or an exemption from sin. And though Christ had redeemed his people by the blood of his cross, people were purchasing their grace, and Luther just could not accept it. And as I stood reading in the museum, I was really struck because I had been kind of thinking and preparing for this message, and I realized that it really was the same thing, that just as the church was depending on indulgences to buy their freedom from sin, we get confused to believing that something we accomplish is going to make us more worthy to the Lord. Um, funny enough, I had maybe originally thought, or for a long time probably considered my life first, Luke 12, 48. It's one of the first verses I ever memorized, that to whom much is given, much will be required. And one of the things that unifies Joel and I in marriage is a strong work, work ethic. It's something that um, we both value. We were both raised by dads with a really strong work ethic, and it's something we really value passing along to our children. Um, the, I knew we would have a strong friendship with the missionary that we met in Greece, Tony Sebastian, which on the, fir when, on the first day he explained to our team um, that it was going to be busy because we can sleep when we're dead. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And Joel is very similar in that cloth. He tells me all the time that retirement is not in the Bible, just so everyone knows. Okay. So work matters. But Schmidgalls are, we really value effort, we value commitment, we have a wooden sign in our house that says, in this family we do hard things. But the scary thing is, it's that same commitment to effort, effort that really puts me at risk of valuing task, right? Rather than receiving grace from the Lord. And deep down is the belief that if I work hard enough, I can achieve. And that any failure really is a reflection on me. It keeps me from receiving true grace from the Holy Spirit. So spending time with the refugees on this trip was really sweet salve to my hardworking soul. <laughs> and as people have asked me about the trip, I've shared that one of the greatest gifts was the ability just for a period of time to be fully present, to be fully present without the distraction of an all-consuming to-do list at home, to be present to minister and to hear and to share. It has been a little bit of a challenge when people ask, well, what did you do? We were present with people, right? Um, just to attend to their hurt. And I've tried to bring that home with me. Um, one of the things we are so impressed by the team that's on the ground there ministering is their ability really to be present every moment and to accept uh, being just a small seed, a small part of someone's story. I realize that's hard for us at home, right? We, as Americans, we want to fix it. We want to um, have part of the solution to a plan. And, we, and even in our discipleship, we want to see the fruit. We want to see the whole story. And if not, it's hard to find the value. And as they shared that we needed to have peace about being a small part of someone's story in that testimony, I felt the hot expectation, the hot pressure just lift off my shoulders. So I want to pass that home to you here in D.C., where many of you are very gifted problem solvers. But some of you are aching right now at the weight of your own self-expectation. Some of you are suffocating with worry that you don't have what it takes to be successful. 
You feel panicked about your thorns and your hang-ups. And some of you are handicapped by fear. You are built exactly as you should be for the, Christ, the story that Christ is writing in and through you. So what fear is paralyzing you that you need to face head-on? Rewrite the script of fear as Joel has. For the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power of love and self-discipline. And the weakness of self-doubt that you might question, rewrite that script of self-doubt. My grace is sufficient for you. My power made perfect in your weakness. It's our prayer, mine and Joel's, that, you would, that these scriptures would begin to write, rewrite your life script. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the script that you write in our lives. Thank you for the way that your word comes alive to each of us in our unique place. And God, I pray for those here today that we can hear your words, we can receive them. Lord, release us from the bondage of fear. God, release us from believing that we can earn significance. Thank you, God, for loving us so freely. Your grace is enough.